GM, GM, welcome to Web3 Academy, your one trusted source to capitalize on the next big phase of the internet. I'm Kyle Reedhead, and I believe that Web3 is going to change the world. And that's why we're carving a path for doers to confidently build and invest in Web3 and make sure that you don't get caught in the hype cycle. Now, we do a lot talking about Web3 and how it's going to onboard the next billion people. Well, in this episode, we're going to talk about what needs to be built in order for that to actually happen. It turns out that if we were to allow Web3 apps to you know, work, connect in with, let's say, Meta or TikTok or whatever, the biggest apps in the world, and onboard billions of people all at once, it's more than likely that almost all of this tech would actually break. It just wouldn't work. We don't have the scalable systems that we need for Web3 to onboard the billions of people like we always talk about on this podcast. And so that's why today's episode is actually looking at what do we still need to build? What's left? What are the kind of things that developers and businesses need to be working on to enable this technology, to enable Web3, self-custody, decentralization, all the things that we love about the space, to actually enable it to function and work and scale for the billions of people that we know are going to be migrating from the online world to the on-chain world in the coming years. And so no better person to do this than Noam Hurwitz, the project engineer at Alchemy. Alchemy is one of the most powerful set of Web3 development tools to help you build and scale your dApps with ease. They also have Alchemy University, which is educating developers into the Web3 space. And really, he comes with you know two and a half years over at Alchemy. And uh, Alchemy has grown since at least when Noam started with about five developers. Their team now is over 100 across their entire team. So they've been growing and they've been doing this and hiring through the bear market. So it's really cool to see certain companies in this space that can continue to grow even through tough times. And when you're building something as important as what they are, it all makes sense. But Noam, previous to his Web3 endeavors, previous to being at Alchemy, he used to work at Quibi and Google. And so he's uh, he knows a thing or two about scaling technology. And again, that's the focus of this discussion today, is just talking about what we need to do to scale, looking at blockchains, different types, different solutions to scale, and other areas just to make the UX better for users, for developers, and also to make it more secure for users, and again, for developers. And so we talk things about account abstraction, we talk about user intents, ERC-6900 and ERC-4337, bunch of different protocols. We do our best to to explain this in a, a more simple fashion for those who are not developers and are not tech related. But otherwise, it's a, just a great episode to kind of realize how early we are, right? We want these applications that onboard the billions. And I think we're too early. It's coming and the developers are building. And, and as we will learn from this episode, developers are growing still, which is great. It's exactly what we need to see. And you know, we just got to continue to push forward, continue to keep building as per usual. And I think it's, it's inevitable it's going to happen. We just got to keep building and make sure that we are building and working together to make all this happen. So that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we get into that, let's just take a quick second to hear from our sponsors. The future of social media is here, and that future lives in Web3 on top of Lens Protocol. Web2 social platforms are broken and ripe for disruption. You see, the epicenter of social media is the creators, and yet they are the most neglected. Web2 platforms like Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram are all essentially robbing creators of their worth. Creators are a new type of entrepreneur, forming new types of businesses. Yet with Web2 platforms, creators don't own their content or their profiles, and that's their product and business. Instead, they are tied to the platforms they choose to create on. Well, just like how crypto is freeing us from banks, Web3 is freeing us from these centralized platforms. On Lens Protocol, 
Creators own their content, own their profile, and even their social graph and followers in the form of NFTs. This allows you to move freely from one social application to another with your content, profile, and followers moving along with you. Lens Protocol enables self-sovereignty for your social graph and interoperability across the internet. At Web3 Academy, we believe this is the future of social, and that's why we partner with Lens to ensure that the path of social media is heading in the right direction. Visit lens.xyz to learn more today. What's up, y'all doers? We're seeing signs on chain of the very early stages of a crypto bull run. There's a big wave coming and we want to make sure you're on it. Now's the time to capitalize on the opportunity. How you ask? By starting to practice consistent dollar cost average buys into strong network-based assets like Ethereum and Bitcoin. However, when buying, please make sure to use a trusted exchange. Our newest sponsor, ByDeFi, is a reliable exchange that offers you a platform to turn your fiat into crypto. They also offer awesome rewards, allowing you to earn up to $2,800 for completing easy tasks like setting up two-factor authentication and verifying your identity. If you're eager to get into the market, get started with ByDeFi now by visiting ByDeFi.com, that's B-Y-D-F-I.com, or clicking the link in the description below. Noam, welcome to the Web3 Academy podcast. It's great to have you here. Thanks, man. It's good to be on. I've been following Alchemy actually for a while, so I'm excited to have have you on and have a conversation here. I think we've got lots to talk about, but for the listeners who may not know who Alchemy is, let's start there. Why don't you just give us a bit of a background of what Alchemy is, how long you guys have been around for, and what you guys are up to. So Alchemy is the leading Web3 developer platform. And for anyone who's trying to build in this space, you're probably familiar that there's a lot of idiosyncrasies with building applications on blockchains and blockchain protocols. And so Alchemy aims to be that platform layer to kind of provide standardized tooling and interfaces and enable developers to build applications that'll onboard a billion people to crypto. Billion people. That's what we all want. And are these tools for all types of blockchains? Is this just EVM? Is it just Ethereum? Or what's the kind of toolkit there? So we currently support, I want to say, eight or nine blockchains, including Solana, which is an EVM, and StarkNet, which is an Ethereum layer two, but is not actually EVM itself. So we now are multi-VM, although our origins started with just Ethereum. Okay, cool. And how long has Alchemy been around like in the space for? Alchemy has been around in some form for over four years. A little known fact is they actually started out as a hedge fund analytics platform. And while they were building their product in the space, realized how hard the infrastructure problem is. And so started moving more and more to that before releasing our infrastructure as it's known today in a self-serve format at the beginning of 2021. Very interesting. I was not expecting that transition, but that's pretty cool. I mean, I think obviously helping developers in this space build is probably the the most important thing that we need right now, which let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about sort of the, the state of Web3 in your mind. We'll talk about devs in a second, but just more in general, the state of Web3, where do you see like what stage we're at? What's the focus right now? What do we need to be doing? Like just kind of walk us through your, your vision of that. It's a bit cliched, but it's obviously early and you can tell it's early kind of based off the caliber of the user experience. I don't want to overly use this analogy, but like reminisce back to the early days of the internet, there were all these like weird new businesses with weird unorthodox business models and poor UXs and a lot of consumer facing scams. And they had a harder time kind of addressing older segments of the population because there were these new technological paradigms that were difficult to onboard to. And a lot of that kind of died away pretty quickly. But there was a kernel there that's kind of become revolutionary to the point that today every company is an internet company. And like Saudi Aramco has Aramco.com and there's whole companies predicated based off just giving value online. I think blockchain is very much in the early day right now where there's these like weird businesses with unorthodox business models and it very much 
caters towards younger segments of the population. And there's obviously been like headwinds with like consumer scams, but there's still a really strong kernel there. And I think we're at the stage now where there's a lot of momentum into this kernel. And especially now during the bear market, a lot of really, really smart people building on really hard, long roadmaps that get us to a state where down the road, every company provides value to its users on chain as well as online. Hmm. To me, at least, and this is something we explain in the podcast all the time, is there's so many use cases for this tech, right? And it, it solves so many business problems. And so like, it's obvious to me that this is coming and that so many users are going to be using this. And you know, you said a billion people. That, to me, it seems obvious. The problem is even when we have the good use cases, it's still just very hard for people to wrap their heads around and very hard for people to use. And so the state I see we're at is like, we're still in a very much a build phase because we need to get this technology up to the standards of a typical average like internet user, right? Like it doesn't matter how good this stuff is. My mom's not using it right now. And she's just, I think we're still a ways off for her to use any of this kind of stuff. We just need more devs building in this space to make that happen, I guess. Talk about that for a second. I know Alchemy is kind of a leader in the dev world. What are you guys seeing? Are we getting more devs right now? Are the devs, you know, really starting to build out in this space or is it, slow down maybe with the bear market or kind of what are you seeing in that? Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think like to your point of, of getting kind of my mom on chain, it's, there's a lot of people building in the space right now, but I would describe it as very highly in parallel and all moving very slowly where we need like the convergence of all of these threads to get to a final solution where the UX is addressed, the scalability is addressed, the security is addressed, the education is addressed, and there's enough primitives and support for anyone to go on board to on-chain applications. And so we're seeing a lot of these core pillars being developed and pushed forward. There's just a lot of these pillars that need to land before we get to this end state. For the second part of the question around like what we're seeing in teams is like we have this internal new metric around like how we label team quality. So we have this team quality score and, and we're seeing now that like the highest quality teams are still like the team count is increasing still throughout this bear market, kind of signaling that like the people building the, like the high caliber long term projects are growing and gaining momentum and there's more and more of them coming into space. Right. But then the, the tail end, I guess, are starting to fall off. They're like less quality NFT projects, let's call it, things like that. There's a lot less building going on in that. Yeah. We've actually still seen pretty strong numbers over the past two quarters. But I think the yeah, to your point, like lower quality teams, a lot of those will come in and experiment with some things like NFT drops or building dApps or iterating on just finding product market fit. Whereas this kind of team quality score more indicates teams that have some longer term roadmap or some sort of product market fit already. You have any numbers around? I mean, I see a lot of different reports and things. I think A16E had a report and a few others on dev numbers. Do you guys have, is this something you guys calculate or something you're keeping track of as well? Yeah. So we publish a quarterly developer report. I'm sure we can link the last one we published in the show notes. Again, that kind of captures a lot of what I just said. There's still pretty strong tailwinds in terms of like developer growth, but we're seeing a lot of activity, especially on layer twos. So like now that all the layer twos have kind of reached operational maturity, scaling is less of a problem, transaction costs are less, less of a problem for end users. And we're seeing more and more end users onboard directly to layer two to the point that the cumulative sum of transactions on layer twos is like far surpasses that of L1 Ethereum at this point. Can you just walk me through, maybe we can do this with your journey into Web3 and your journey into Alchemy. I mean, there's a lot of devs out there in the world. Not a lot of them are in Web3 yet. I think we're in like the tens of thousands-ish, somewhere around there from, from the numbers that I've seen. Maybe it's 20,000-ish. And we need more. And I guess maybe just walk me through, you know, why aren't we getting exponentially more just yet? Maybe AI is taking all of our devs in the last couple of months. I'm not sure. And really, what do we need to do to get there? And, and if that contrasts at all well with your journey, it would be great to hear, hear your story as well. Yeah, I would say the numbers of devs in this space are probably substantially higher than the 10 to 20K you quoted based off of Okay. Kind of what we're seeing at Alchemy. So 
we do see a lot of traction in the space. I think part of it is just enabling them with like higher level developer tooling, where if you ask me to go build an application, like an internet application using bare bones TCP IP right now, I'd be like moving pretty slowly and get frustrated pretty quickly. Whereas now, like you just give me a modern web framework, I spin up my server, I spin up my website. You can like do these things with no code solutions even and get like a business grade application up and running in minutes. And okay. like these kind of parallels are still missing in Web3 where I would say that the Ethereum log is the Web3 analogy of the Web2 TCP IP, where it's like a very low level concept. It's pretty idiosyncratic. It's unique to a particular platform technology. And like most developers just kind of want higher level building blocks. So that's been a lot of our focus at Alchemy is kind of packaging and bundling these low level primitives into higher level building blocks and kind of abstracting away the underlying technology, the underlying platform from the application experience that devs want to power. Interesting. And in your journey, you want to walk us just through a little bit of your journey into Web3 and, and also to Alchemy? Yeah, for sure. Uh, in Web3, I probably got exposed to Bitcoin mining like in right around 2010, like very, very early. And I was like, wow, pretty skeptical of like, oh, why do we need internet money? This is silly. Like I can just go use a credit card or buy things with dollars. The thing that was missing for me is like, I'm a technologist. I kind of understood the technology. Byzantine John Works problem. Like it's a very elegant solution to that. But for me, what was missing is like the game theoretic, socioeconomic, almost philosophical reason of like why you these types of solutions that are censorship resistant and trustless and credibly neutral platforms. And that didn't really hit me until like end of 2020, really, where I was listening to a podcast about stable coins and the whole idea of kind of payments on blockchain kind of really came to life for me. And from that point, it was a, a one month window of me listening to that podcast to me working at Alchemy and kind of floating <laughs> out the wow. future infrastructure on Ethereum. That's a quick rabbit hole that you just, that you went down. What did you do previous to Alchemy? So I've been in tech for a while. I worked at Google for a few years, scaling system. So worked on Google Drive, where we're rewriting a system for over a billion monthly active users. And that's kind of given me like a good perspective on like what designing systems for a billion people looks like. Right. And after that, I did a quick stint at a startup called Quibi. I don't know if you heard about them, but they were the streaming service that raised $2 billion in Fulton in about eight months. So it was a pretty spectacular <laughs> failure. Kind of Gave me the fortitude to come in and uh, grind through Web3 bear markets. Right, right. Yeah, this is something you're used to then. Interesting. Well, that's a great story. And let's then shift this over to kind of what devs are all working on, which is, as you said, onboarding a billion people on chain. Walk me through that. What do we think we need to get to? What do we have to do? Like, I don't know how you kind of frame this or how you think about this, but whether it's technically, what do we need to achieve to make this happen? Or in terms of like use cases and applications, what do you think we need to get out there in order for this to happen? But how do we get those those billion users on chain? Yeah, that's a great question. I think from an infrastructure perspective, the way I frame this is like, if you take a company like Meta that has something like 4 billion monthly active users or some really high number and said, okay, all 4 billion of your users have to act on crypto rails today, what breaks? And the answer is like, everything breaks really, right? Like right. there's not enough block space, like the UX is poor, like interoperability is not sufficient to handle multiple blockchains. There's an education problem. And so I think everything that breaks there is kind of an opportunity for builders to come in and provide a solution for and add value to the ecosystem. And so all of that is a kind of what we're focusing on at Alchemy. And we have Alchemy University geared at addressing some of the education problems. And we have now a team working on account abstraction solutions, which are aiming to address some of these UX problems. And I'm happy to dive into that a little bit more in a bit. But we're seeing a lot of teams kind of addressing like the block space problem, the interoperability problem, the security problem. And it's going to be the convergence of all of these threads at once that enable the apps like the metas of the world to onboard on-chain. Right. So we got a lot of problems and we need to fix a lot of different things in order for this to happen is essentially what you're saying. I mean, we've talked a lot about account abstraction on the podcast, but I think every time we talk to someone, 
we get a little bit of a different answer as to what it is and what it entails and I guess what it means for the users, which is great because it helps us think of different use cases and different scenarios for it. So I kind of like to continuously repeat that. So why don't you walk us through your idea of account abstraction and I guess maybe how you guys are seeing it at Alchemy and what you think that's going to offer for the space? Great question. I think the reason for that confusion stems from the term account abstraction in the first place where it's a pretty confusing term. And like what it means- Everything in Web3 is, is confusing in terms of the- yeah. just, I don't know who comes up yeah. with these things, but they are just wild, like dank sharding. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a tangent, <laughs> but a lot of the terms have also like, they've been invented before in Web2, right? Where like, I don't know if you've read Vitalik's soulbound NFTs blog post. It's like a really cool concept yeah. of an NFT that's not transferable and is permanently attached to an account. And there's like been decades of research in Web2 around like identity and digital identity and decentralized identifiers and verifiable credentials. And like, you can just think of a soulbound token as a verifiable credential, but no one really calls it that, even though that's, you know, there's been a lot of thought being put into that space. Right. So yeah, naming's definitely not been our strong suit so far. But to that point, yeah, account abstraction, the way we see it is it's an unlock for smart contract accounts. And like the term account abstraction stems from the protocols perspective in that there are two like separate account types. There's externally owned accounts, which is your traditional Ethereum private key. And then there's these smart contract accounts. And from the protocol's perspective, you're abstracting away support for both of these accounts so that the protocol, like it like natively supports smart contract accounts, it supports EOAs, and you have to make protocol changes to do so. And so on Ethereum, historically, it's only ever supported externally owned accounts. And with ERC4337, we now have off-chain infrastructure supporting smart contract accounts. And in general, the reason that we're very excited about smart contract accounts, like we do think they are one of these needed building blocks to get the metas of the world or a billion people on chain in general and that like externally owned accounts have a lot of limitations for one is there's this whole key management problem where you lose your private seed phrase and you lose your account or if that gets fished you get entirely rugged sorry just to clarify for the users the externally yeah. managed accounts this is like your metamask your coinbase wallet this is what you're talking about about externally yeah. managed accounts so okay ex externally owned accounts exactly it's it's your private key and it corresponds to a public address on ethereum and that private key is essentially your account. And with smart contract accounts, you're decoupling this private key from your account. So you have your account and that's deployed as a contract on the blockchain. And then you can have any number of keys with any number of rules who are acting as signers on this account. So an example of that is like, I can give my landlord a signer that says, you have permission to draft 3000 USDC exactly once per month, right? And then they can use that to automate me dra drafting rent for my account. So now you have a model of pull payments instead of push payments, whereas EOAs, the only way that you can issue payments are with push payments. So with account abstraction, it sounds like better security, right? Because you can kind of control, I guess, what people can do with your assets. And then ideally, it's better UX as well. It's kind of abstracting away a lot of what's going on, especially in terms of not needing a seed phrase, that kind of stuff. But the way that you've explained it, it sounds like... This is in terms of, of the developers, they can do a lot with it. But will the average person also benefit from account abstraction? Like, will they be creating these? Like, you just said that you can create a, what you call it, a permissioned, what was the term you used? A permissioned something, authorization, I guess. Signer. Yeah, signer. Like, will the average person be able to do that? Or is this like just those that are building applications? So I think at the end of the day, the ultimate goal here is to entirely abstract away the crypto rails from the end user. Where like the end user is like, oh, like I want to enable my landlord to pay, like to draft rent for my account once per month. I'll like follow these instructions online and then issue that transaction. But they don't necessarily need to know that they're issuing a transaction. They don't need to know what blockchain this is happening on. They don't need right. to know what address their contracts deployed at. 
but they do need to know that they're able to send four thousand or three thousand dollars once per month, right? So okay. we want to enable developers to build these experiences in a way that entirely abstracts away crypto from end users. Right. So from the UX standpoint of a user, it's going to look just like a Web two app. You're just going to tell it that you want it to do this thing, and then just underneath all the stuff is happening in terms of how that's going to work on the blockchain, what wallets that's going to, et cetera. But it's essentially just putting that all away and it feels like a Web2 experience. Kind of, I mean, we always say the Web3 mullet, which I, I think is exactly what this offers here is, I mean, Bankless termed this with the DeFi mullet years ago, but we see this happening with kind of everything in the internet where blockchain is kind of the underlying infrastructure that enables everything to happen in terms of value, but we don't really see it or we don't really touch it. It's more a Web 2-like experience up above, and then it has the, the Web 3 at the back. Is that how you would say that account yeah. abstraction is basically going to enable that? That's exactly right. I will say like the main difference with like account abstraction and like the Coinbase DeFi mullet, for example, is the Coinbase DeFi mullet still offers these services through like a Web 2 intermediary, right? So like you can go use, I'm not familiar with the latest, but from my understanding, you can go use like lending protocols through Coinbase, for example. But in this case, like you really are getting this Web 2 experience with all the Web 3 ethos and like value props of right. decentralization. Like you're managing, yeah. right, exactly. You're managing your accounts. You just like don't really know that you're doing so when we're providing developers the tools to enable end users to do that in like a safe way. For example, like using things like the secure enclave on your phone to manage keys instead of writing them down on a piece of paper. is like one way that you can abstract away keys from user while still giving them a secure environment to manage these keys in. Yeah, this is the thing I try to help a lot of people wrap their heads around is because a lot of people are trying to build businesses or tools to make you know Web3 easier for those that are coming in. But I think a lot of people are building it right now for the way that you know we use blockchain and the way that we use blockchain i think is not how we're going to use it in the future for most people right right now it's this weird way where we've got to sign all these transactions we've got to you know go in our wallet and decide which blockchain we're on and we've got to bridge things across and i think eventually and i don't know how long this will take but all that will just happen under the hood we won't be thinking about bridging and swapping and all that stuff it'll just happen as we go to interact with whatever application it is and i think again account abstraction is going to be probably one of the main tools that kind of enables that for us what else are you seeing with this that account abstraction is going to enable? So you gave a couple like ideas already. Is there any like if you can kind of zoom out a little bit and just talk about how the internet is going to function or things that we typically do on the internet? I'm talking like social media. Obviously, payments is a big one that we do. Commerce. Do you see this changing a lot of what we do on the internet? And if so, kind of walk me through some use cases of how. Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's going to be a lot that I'm missing, but some of the big ones you mentioned are like commerce and payments. Like I think from day zero, like blockchains. One of the biggest promises have been like payment rails and, and financial rails. Right. And like we're seeing maybe more advanced institutions move some applications on to blockchain rails. But like from the end user's perspective, it's still largely infeasible to use this on a day to day basis. So I think that's really promising. Social, I think, is another really interesting one where you have like attestations and like provenance of like who created what and when and like from what account and like who signed to, to attest to this is an interesting one. I think gaming is a big one where I grew up playing RuneScape personally, which was like okay. this MMORPG and there's a grand exchange and everyone's like arbing assets on the grand exchange. That just to me is like a very one-to-one -one parallel with like what's kind of going on with Web3 gaming and like interoperability across all these games and the ability to like create like financial models on top of these in-game assets. Here's a question. I know this is going to be a difficult one to answer, but we talk about this all the time, Web3 gaming, you know, Web3 social, like all payments, like all this stuff that's coming to crypto, to Web3. And I think, you know, year over year, these things are coming more and more and they're getting closer and closer and it's all exciting. But I'm just curious in your, I guess your best estimate, how far are we away from this stuff actually 
being mainstream and like in terms of not like when will everyone adopt it, but more just like when is the tech going to actually be ready for that, right? Like we're still working on the very underlying like Ethereum, the core infrastructure is still being built. And then we've got the L2s that we've got a lot of work to do, then account abstraction and then the actual apps themselves. And so like, in my opinion, there's probably still a lot of work to do. And this is probably going to take a lot of time. You're more in the weeds of this stuff of seeing like the progress of it all. When do you think we have our first like mainstream app that goes real big and it's all powered by crypto and it's self-custody and it's decentralized, et cetera? Like how far are we away from this tech actually giving what we, what we all want? That's a great question. I would argue there's maybe one existing mainstream app on crypto already and that's stable coins. And if you look at the, the value transmitted over stable coins, like it's pretty compelling to say like, okay, that's found product market fit and there's a lot of adoption, but kind of looking forward beyond that from a technological perspective, just like systems today can't handle like social media bandwidth of like an Instagram or a Snapchat right now. And so it's a lot of groundwork that needs to be laid before we can even think about those types of scale and those types of frictionless experiences. My like optimistic bet would be on like a three year timeline. And I think it could land anywhere between like three and 10 years and I wouldn't be overly surprised. Interesting. So you said we just can't handle the bandwidth. What is it we need to improve? Is it like scalability of transactions you mean? Or is there something else? There's more to it that I'm like as a non-technical person that I'm just unaware of. Yeah, exactly. So like if you imagine these things as a global computer and then you like look at, okay, social media at peak probably does on the order of like 100,000 transactions per second. And like Visa at peak probably does on the order of like 20,000 transactions per second. And they're all now using these same shared resources. And there's all these other applications also contending for these resources. Like we just need a very high throughput system. And then the way like Solana and Ethereum are kind of taking different approaches to this, where Solana is building this like really, really, really powerful, hyper-performant, hyper-optimized, single like monolithic system. And they're able to get like incredibly good results right now. And they have some clients like the Fire Dancer coming through that will like really push them to like very high transaction per second limits. And then the Ethereum model is more of like a modular architecture where it's roll-up centric and we're seeing these like layer twos on Ethereum. And now we're seeing the emergence of what's called like an application specific chain. So like an example is that is like DYDX has their own chain using the Cosmos SDK. And that now has its own like independent set of like block space and like governance rules and like MEV capture rules and everything else. But when you start moving into this like app chain space, now the question also becomes interoperability, where if I have thousands of app chains, how do I, the end user, like know, or how do I developer like provide end users a way to just like interact on chain without having to be prescriptive of like what chain I'm on or like, oh man, my assets are stuck on Arbitrum and I want to use them on DYDX. Like how do I get them over? So there's just like more and more problems that kind of recursively solve up as you, st you fix each right. underlying layer. So I know this is getting a little bit off subject from what we we're meant to be talking about but between the two sort of solutions of you know solana as a monolithic chain and then you have ethereum and l2s and app specific chains as kind of the modular chain do they both exist in the future is there one that's better than the other like what are you thinking on this yeah it's i think just frankly way too early to say on this i think both models are quite compelling and frankly both will probably have some use cases that they're more optimal for okay. but as of now, they're both promising models. They're both very early. Fire Dancer is not live in production. Most of the modular roadmap isn't really live in production either. You can see where they're both going, but it's too early to say. Right. Now, when you talk about account abstraction, most of this I hear about is on Ethereum. Does this translate over Solana? Because Solana is built in a different code. It's Rust, whereas Ethereum is Solidity. Does this transfer over or is this like kind of like you said, where everyone's kind of building their own things right now and it's not sort of intermeshed together yet? What do you see with that? Yeah, the general concept of account abstraction is not blockchain specific, right? It's just enabling smart right. contract accounts. 
Alchemy specific offerings right now are in the EVM. So they're implemented for Ethereum and its layer twos. You're right in that it would require a slightly different approach and also generalizing that to extend to Solana. Although that is something that we eventually do want to consider. Right. Okay, cool. Talk to me a little bit about Alchemy University. So our listeners, I think we have about 20, 25% are developers. And so I know many of them are either learning to develop, a lot of them are new, and some of them are have been around for a while. What's Alchemy University? And give me a little bit of background on what that is. So we mentioned this a couple of times already, but education is probably one of the bigger barriers to entry in the space, both for end users, but especially for developers. And Alchemy University is designed to enable developers to ramp up quickly to Web3 and become like productive Web3 developers. And it actually started out as this team called Chainshot that was running kind of education boot camps and were doing a fantastic job. Like they're awesome. They're replacing smart contract engineers at the top protocols after they graduated from Chainshot. We started working with them and they are now powering Alchemy University, which is a lot of the same courses that Chainshot initially ran, but made publicly available for free. So that like any developer can use these resources that were placing engineers as smart contract engineers at these top firms. And like use them to ramp themselves up on like the latest and greatest concepts in Web3 development. For those that are wanting to get in the world of Web3, they're wanting to be a developer and build in the space, whether they want to build their own projects or they want to work at, at a certain company. Where do you think are like the, the main needs that people, developers need to be focused on right now? I mean, I'm assuming account abstraction because that's what most of this episode has been about. But in terms of like where people should be focusing on, what they should be building, any frameworks you have for that that you could help a newer developer kind of wrap their head around? Yeah, that's a good question. I think taking a step back, even to be a good Web3 developer, you have to be a good developer, period, right? And that means like we're designing systems that are intended to scale for a billion people. It's on like a highly available, globally available shared computer and Ethereum and these other blockchains. And you have to be able to apply engineering best practices and a lot of upfront rigor in designing and building applications from a systems perspective, from a security perspective, from a UX perspective. And these are all characteristics that like are applied to engineering generally, not just Web3 engineering. And having a strong foundations in like distributed systems, security, being comfortable writing code, being comfortable prototyping, testing your code, all go a long way to on-ramping towards Web3. At Web3, I think, yeah, there's a lot of really interesting areas being looked at. I think the account abstraction ecosystem is, is really interesting. There's a lot going on right now with privacy too and kind of applying like ZK proofs, both for scaling and for privacy. There's the whole scaling roadmap where a lot of the layer twos on Ethereum, so Arbitrum and Optimism, they're actually what's called a smart contract rollup. And there's equal components of like running the layer two and its network of nodes, but then also designing the smart contract that this eventually rolls down to on layer one. So I think there is a ton of very interesting threads going on and we'd encourage folks to check them all out, pique their interest and follow whichever one they think is most interesting. Absolutely. I guess in terms of where the tech is at or where it's going to be in the coming, like let's say year or two, what do you think are the use cases that are best suited for this tech currently? So again, if an entrepreneur who's a developer wants to build up something, like obviously there's, you know, everything's going to be built on this 10 years from now. But like you said, it's not quite ready for a lot of that. But there are some businesses and there are some use cases that work great right now. Like you said, stable coins, anything in terms of the use cases that you'd say stand out at the moment? Or that you're like, is a great opportunity that someone should be building? I think DeFi is generally there on a lot of on angles where like Aave is like a very hardened, well-understood protocol yeah. that provides a lot of users a lot of value. And I think it's obviously very difficult to go build an Aave, but there are a lot of just like financial primitives offered on chain that do provide users value. I mentioned gaming a few times where I think this is a good example of something that could use its own app chain for now to get its own dedicated block space, build out some like custom execution environments to better accommodate its in-game rules, and then use that 
like powered by interoperable digital assets. I think the whole payment infrastructure of like, if you imagine right now checking out on Amazon on mobile with like a MetaMask, it's like, you go to Amazon, you hit checkout, you search to MetaMask, you select your network, you go back to Amazon, you say, you confirm, you search to MetaMask, you like approve token, you search to Amazon, it's like just a terrible flow. Like what's the real practical flow for e-commerce on digital assets and like what's needed to power that? I think what excites me the most is just like you have a fully programmable machine here and like people have proven to be in this space just incredibly creative and I'm really excited to see kind of what comes out of them next. Absolutely. I'm going to give you a second to just share a little bit more about Alchemy for those developers that are interested that are, you know, trying to learn more or they want some of the tools that you guys have. Give us a little background of, you know, a little bit more specific on what you guys are doing, where they can find this stuff uh, in case they want to do the university or they want to use your tools. Give us a little bit more details there. A little bit more in detail about Alchemy. So as I mentioned, we're a leading blockchain developer platform. What that means is that we offer core access to several blockchains. So Ethereum, Optimism, Arbitrum, Starknet, Polygon, Polygon, ZKVM, Solana, probably one or two more, ASTAR in the, in the Polkadot ecosystem. And that's kind of our core starting point. But like, as I mentioned earlier with the TCP IP analogy, pure node access is probably not going to be enough to enable developers to build applications for the next billion users. So how do we provide them like the right level of abstractions and the right level of building blocks to go and, and focus on the application? So to that point, we have a couple of focuses on like aggregating and combining these building blocks. So we have things like our NFT API, which provides structured schemas on NFTs and pull off-chain data so that you can build NFT-centric applications with have, having to scrape the whole blockchain and scrape IPFS for metadata and generally jump through a bunch of hoops to power them. We have things like transaction simulation to enable wallets to build safer user flows by showing the users the before and after of a transaction before it's executed. And now we have a large team focused on a cash traction. So we're powering both the off-chain infrastructure as defined in EIP 4337, which enables account abstraction on Ethereum. And we're also working on some open source initiatives. So another one of those is EIP 6900, which is a standard for modular smart contract accounts. The idea there is that we want to enable developers to build account plugins and minimize vendor lock-in on any account implementation so that if I'm a developer, and I write an account plugin, it would work with Gnosis, it would work with Argent, it would work with ZeroDev, it would work with any account implementation out there. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So before we get into a, a speed round, how we always end our episodes, I just want to know, was, is there anything that we missed on? Anything you want to touch on more that we just didn't get a chance to in this episode? Great question. There's always so much more to cover here. I think we covered on a lot of it. I guess like one parting thought we didn't touch much on is there's been a lot of discussion recently on like intent-based architectures and just like really quickly covering that. I think we need to get into a state in blockchain where users can be intent-based. And what I mean by that is like, if I'm swapping from USDC to ETH, I say, okay, I want to swap 2000 USDC for ETH. I just want to get the most amount of ETH. What I don't want is like, I don't want to be like on Arbitrum using this Uniswap pool with like this slippage fee and being very prescriptive and imperative about how that swap happens. So ideally, we provide these systems to enable developers to move to this more intent-based model where they can just allow the users to be like, okay, like here's what I want to happen. And the developers provide a system of constraints to do that optimally. So it just takes out, I mean, that is a pain, right? When you're using your wallet and it's like, slippage, all this stuff, like you got to think that it can just do it for you, right? It can just make the decision for you. That's kind of what you're saying is basically the developers will just build it in such a way that it'll figure that out for you and probably do yeah. what's, maybe it's not the always the most optimal, but it's like one of the best options at the time, I guess. Is that the idea? Yeah, exactly. I feel like I've put my mom on blast a lot this episode, but like my mom's not dealing with slippage <laughs> on Arbitrum, right? right? She like maybe swap digital assets, but she's not going to be prescriptive about the network, the criteria, 
like the reversion criteria at pretty much everything else, like which pool is being used. And so moving away from like the underlying step-by-step execution of how the transaction happens and moving higher up to the more right. like user intent focused approach here. Right. Absolutely. Cool. I love that. We need that. So let's, uh, let's get more devs into, to start building those out. Cause that will just make the UX of this whole space so much, so much easier. No, thanks so much for joining in and sharing this. I want to do a quick uh, speed round if you don't mind. And uh, so we've got three questions for you. The first is what is an NFT that you own that you will never sell? Going back a little bit, but I have a citizen DAO NFT that entitles me to be a citizen of this sovereign plot of land in Wyoming. And the whole idea was this DAO is getting the people together to like develop the city. I don't think it's come very far, but I think it's like a very early indicator of the type of things that will eventually be enabled on blockchains. So it's kind of a piece of history that I commemorate right now. Nice. Love that. What is something that you've bought for under $100 that gives you joy? And again, it does not have to be anything to do with Web3. It doesn't have to be a token or any of that kind of stuff. A more recent one. So I, I was recently under the weather. So I bought an Apple TV subscription and watched season three of Ted Lasso, which I won't say made me cry, but made my eyes moist. So highly recommend. <laughs> Such a good show. Absolutely love it. I was like every Wednesday, like I usually don't watch things on the days that they come out. Ted Lasso, though, it was like Wednesdays. I was so pumped. Sometimes I'd watch it in the morning before I'd start work. <laughs> so like, I just want to get that in. So good. Love yeah, that show. Show. All right. Last question, then. If you had a billboard that a billion people were going to see, what would you write on it? It's a great question. Off the cuff, it would be something along the lines of be aware of local optimum. And that I think, especially in crypto right now, there's just so many threads converging in parallel that like it's very easy to go very deep on your rabbit hole and try to find like an optimal solution with a very 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 narrow set of constraints but it's also very helpful to take a step back like we did in the show and like be a little bit more forward-looking and think about the customers and the use cases and like what's the big picture and what all has to kind of materialize for this to be viable instead of just hyper optimizing a, a local problem so i think hyper optimizing these problems is increasingly important as we're ironing out the infrastructure to set the backbone here but we also do need to occasionally take a step up and make sure that like what we're building makes sense and that it's for the right people and for the right reasons. Interesting. Very nice. What was the term? Local optimum? Is that what you said? Yeah, exactly. Okay. For the non-devs, we're going to need a definition underneath that, I think, on the, on the billboard. <laughs> yeah. But that's great. I think we need to workshop <laughs> the phrasing a bit. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Awesome. Well, Noam, thanks again so much. It was great to have you on and uh, really appreciate everything you guys are doing at Alchemy. We talk every day about Web3 and about how we need to improve the UX. And obviously that starts with the devs, right? It starts with the tech. And so we just need more people educated on how to actually do that and how to play around on this and build. So we really appreciate you guys for educating and for you know providing tools for those to build the next applications that we hope billions are all going to use on chain. So again, thanks so much. I wish you guys all the best at Alchemy. Yeah, appreciate that. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for listening to Web3 Academy, your one trusted source to capitalize on the next big phase of the internet. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it and subscribe or follow so that you don't miss the next one. While you're at it, there's a link in the description for our free newsletter where we provide timely and relevant Web3 insights so you can confidently build and invest in Web3. Make sure to subscribe today. One final note, this podcast is for educational purposes only and nothing we say is financial advice. Crypto and Web3 are risky and you should never invest more than you're willing to lose. Thank you, friends, and see you in the next one.